From Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent, this is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 105. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello, good morning all. And hello, Perry. Hello, give me toilet paper. Yeah, there's a bit of a, well, there's a a few crisis items currently uh, that uh, are in very, very short supply in Hong Kong at the moment, aren't they, uh, Perry? Good Lord, our coronavirus zombie apocalypse has gone nuts. So our shortage of of masks uh, and general distrust of any semblance of competence from the authorities has translated into panic buying of rice, noodles, toilet paper, cleaning uh, supplies, masks, of course, and condoms for some reason. Uh, So literally there has been no toilet paper in any of the shops or supermarkets near me for the past week. And I got a couple weeks supply left and literally people are lining up for hours for masks. People are like traversing the city looking for toilet paper. There have been pictures of people buying like 10 packs. We're talking 10 10 packs of 10 at a time. And, you know, like homes are small in Hong Kong. So you wonder where people are putting these or what they're doing with all this toilet paper. Uh, But yeah, we are in a drastic shortage of uh, toilet paper and what's worse all of the everything is shut down everything is slowed down everyone outside is wearing masks and the postal service is prioritizing deliveries with masks in them which means that the two lenses i've been waiting two weeks for are still nowhere to be seen that's the worst (sighs) zombie apocalypse well yeah I was going to say, the, the, I mean, you've already you've mentioned it there uh, earlier, but just slightly skipped over it that there's now a shortage of condoms as well, mm. and and this was something that was in in the in the car, but so I uh, shared a car to go to a photo walk, which I'll talk about uh, later with um, with with Paul Bullock, and I was discussing this this shortage with Paul, and I say, well, I, I can understand why foods in short supply and uh, and masks and 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 so on. Well, why why condoms? And uh, Paul, as quick as you liked, came back. Well, what else are you going to do if you're stuck at home? <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Everyone's stuck and staying indoors. So what yeah. are, what else are they going to do? Right. Um. And I'm just going to have to disappear for a moment. So I think that, that, uh, yeah. yeah, so you have to bear with me. Um, we have snow problems in Stoke, so please carry on without me. Yeah, it's, they've they've received like a half an inch of snow in 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 uh, the UK, and everybody's freaking out. So, oh, that's that right reminds- up, it's right up there with the coronavirus right now. It, it reminds me of uh, when when I lived in Canada. Every now and then, we would see these news reports out of like Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They would get two centimeters of snow in because they don't have snow tires or anything. The entire city shuts down. Yeah. Up up in Toronto with our our 30 centimeters of snow, we would just stand there mocking their lack of hardiness. We do do the same thing in Chicago. Yeah. I mean, it's it's amazing how relative it is, though, right? Oh, yeah, it is. (laughs) I mean, if you you don't know how to drive on the stuff, you know? Um, Yeah. And and if they don't have any capacity for salting and sanding the roads you know yeah. all of a sudden, all of a sudden you have a like you know a, a quarter of an inch of of slushy snow on the roads and no road salt and you, you know 
cars are just going to go everywhere because people mm-hmm. don't know how to drive on it either. So yeah, that's that sounds about right. And <laughs> if you don't salt it and it then freezes, you then get icy roads, and that's yeah. when people start dying. Right. Okay, so a little sympathy for the folks oh, in no, no, Atlanta. No, 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 no. There's, 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 there's no sympathy required at all. And now they've shut the school. <laughs> they've shut the school, and now the snow has stopped. I mean, that's, oh! that's just typical, isn't it? Uh, uh, but um, yeah, uh, one of, one of my children is currently missing at the moment, apparently, um, and he'll be out with a snowball and or yeah, doing doing uh, damage somewhere. Right. Um, right. And uh, the other one is a case of uh, is I've just been uh, had uh, permission requested of me to say, uh, am I o- okay with letting him walk home? Yes, of course I am. <laughs> so uh, he can have a, a character building uh, two mile walk in the snow. That's uh, that, that's good. Because back in the old days of course that was that was fun absolutely uh, now, yeah mm-hmm. at the moment it's like it's panic um so uh so yeah walk home <laughs> you know every single year when it snows everyone acts so surprised and so unprepared they're like oh my god it's snowing in winter what do we do yeah 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 so uh so yes yeah, so, oh back 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 on with the show um where wherever we were um it was something to do with condoms that, that was about the only thing that i could remember while you were away we were extending our sympathies to the folks in atlanta georgia who suffer when it snows right ah, i see i see okay well let's uh so what's what's it like over in in chicago at the moment yeah it's snowing it snowed last night we had we had a quick storm come through uh in the in the late afternoon early evening and that's past now so now it's just gray again as it is every single day so yeah well there you go it was uh it was really good over the weekend but i'll talk a little bit more about that but uh let's let's head over to Hong Kong and uh, find out a, a, a few more details on the on Perry's week. Uh, well, much like Chicago, it has been unseasonably gray and miserable in Hong Kong, but not raining, uh, obviously not snowing because it never snows here. So I spent most of the week not shooting and just kind of, you know, trying not to go crazy as we descend into this next circle of hell. But I did try to go out and shoot. I actually went out and shot last night because um, basically the subject that I'm shooting right now is all the people wearing masks because literally every single person outside is wearing a mask. And, you know, that includes me. So it's super annoying shooting with a mask on because I'm constantly fogging up my my glasses. Oh, yeah. uh, When I I bring the viewfinder to my uh, to my eye. But yeah, so my my girlfriend and I we went out last night to an area of Hong Kong which looks really cool at night because there are all kinds of different colors of light. But I almost never go and shoot there. It's a place called Mong Kok, and the reason I never go out and shoot there is because it's just so crowded. It's it's usually just so packed full of people that I find it impossible to shoot because I can't pick out a subject and I can't find a composition that's not completely chaotic. Um, but last night, you know, it was still lively compared to other parts of Hong Kong, but the crowds were so much smaller than they usually are that it was actually, it, it felt kind of normal shooting there. And it was a really cool experience because both of us busted out some Cinestill and we just went looking for, you know, artificially lit scenes with neon street lights and minibuses yeah. and mixed lighting and all the kind of situations where Cinestill shines. 
Um, plus with all these masked people as the subject, it was, it was pretty cool. I, uh, I just got the scans today. I posted them in the group earlier this afternoon and I'm, I'm really happy with the results. Yeah. Those, those shots are great. Yeah, you got to make the, well, thank you. Um, you got to make the most out of an odd situation, right? Cause I, yeah. I don't know if you have any parts of Chicago that are normally so crowded that they're borderline unshootable. Yeah. But- yeah. I, th- yeah, so that that's why you know we were talking offline uh, about, uh, and I, I asked, "Geez, so does this mean that there are spots you can go shoot where there are fewer people?" <laughs> so yeah, I can I can relate to that for sure. Yeah, because the the places I would normally go shoot are pretty much empty. It's uh, there's a big hit on retail, hospitality, and restaurants. It's crazy, you know the the shops are closing early. Obviously, everyone is afraid of catching this virus, but it's gotten to the point where like, shopping malls are closing hours early. Um, restaurants, some restaurants just aren't opening at all. Even KFC has stopped serving breakfast. And when like a massive <laughs> multinational chain like that is cutting their services, um, yeah. you you know it's got an impact, right? So it's kind of it's kind of in, uh, interesting slash depressing to to sort of watch an economic catastrophe happen before your eyes. And I'm actually trying to figure out what the best ways are to try to shoot this um, and try to capture some of it. Because obviously there are the people in masks, which I've been shooting, but I've been toying around with the idea of doing things like going to supermarkets and shooting pictures of empty shelves or um, trying to find where people are lining up. There there were 10,000 people camped out overnight last night in front of a shop that said they were going to have masks in the morning. And obviously most of those people in line didn't get them. So it's a very, very odd thing because the mask shortage is real, but everything else is kind of, it's like a bank run. It's like a self-fulfilling crisis, right? Because there isn't actually a shortage of these things like rice and toilet paper and condoms, but because some people are going crazy and panic buying them and there aren't any, you know, restrictions, the, it becomes a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy and, and, (laughs) <laughs> like my local shops, I ha- there, there hasn't been toilet paper on this, uh, the shelves for a week. So anyway, um, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling about that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you guys have any ideas about how to document or capture this in a way that isn't just pictures of people with masks, uh, I am <laughs> definitely all I've, here. I've got to say, I thought you were going to ask for ideas and I had you know, substitutes for toilet paper there for a moment to handy tip. <laughs> I mean, oh, it's... <laughs> No, go on. I was gonna say it's it's hard because you're almost it's like documenting the invisible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, how do you how do you document uh, other, unless you can get to a I don't know a, a shop where th- there's a big line or something and take pic. I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those kind of odd situations that's hard to translate in some ways into an image. Yeah, and, and those images are tricky without context too. Because if I do shoot empty streets, right. it, it it just looks like an empty street, you know, right. like like Kudelka's iconic photo of his watch in front of the empty streets of Prague. Yeah, it, yeah, it just looks like an empty street unless you know the context of what he's shooting. You know, in terms of the the tanks rolling down in the distance, right? Um, it it doesn't look like a particularly out of the ordinary scene. So if I yeah. were to go and shoot empty streets in Hong Kong, you know, you could see some of that in the middle of the night as well. There is an element of it has to be either captioned or 
put in some kind of body of work in order to communicate what it is you're looking at. Otherwise, it's just like, oh, it's a street and there's no people in it. Yeah, you need cool. to turn it into an art project where you take like a, <clears throat> you you um, go out on the street and you wrap yourself in toilet paper, <laughs> like head to toe, like a mummy. And people can come up and they can unroll toilet paper off of you and take it home. And then you could have like a video. You could be making a video of it or something. It's performance art, Perry. There you go. That's your solution. <laughs> performance art. I think it would really feel like being in the middle of a zombie apocalypse there. <laughs> um, yeah. But but to, to illustrate just how ridiculous and then and then I'll talk about lenses, but to illustrate just how ridiculous this has gotten, our buddy Mike Epstein, who is a pilot, um, he's flying over to the state soon and he has just told me a couple of minutes ago that he is literally gonna go toilet paper shopping in New York City. <laughs> to bring it back to Hong Kong and he's flying back via Vancouver. So <laughs> that is the extent to which uh, things have gotten kind of insane. Yeah. Um, so, you know, don't send me lenses, send me toilet paper. They're worth more than lenses. Now. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Well, at but, least it's lighter. I don't know. <laughs> mm. It depends on the quantity of toilet I guess, paper. Yeah, that's lens. true. I, I would get maybe a roll of toilet paper and a lot of lenses weigh about the same. Yeah. Um, but I did go out and shoot with my uh, – well, well, you guys were out shooting with fancy Leicas. I was out with my Voigtlander Bessa R um, and the Canon 35 1.5 on it. Uh, and a couple of people have asked us about the different Canon 35 millimeter lenses, which I think we can talk about a little bit later. Yeah. But, you know, the last time I shot at night with this Canon 35, I was a little bit disappointed with the results. And this time when I got the negatives back, they looked really, really Wait, nice. 35 yeah. 1.5, you have that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. damn. I've had that for ages. Wow. Um, and, well, not ages, months. And uh, <laughs> Literally months. <laughs> The well, last time, yeah, the results weren't great. This time, they look really nice. And and the difference is, I shot everything at f two, uh, and one over sixty. And so, you know, stopping down just that little bit yeah. gave it so much more crispness from a sort of soft, wide open rendering. Yeah, that makes. But sense. it did get me thinking a little, which is like, we, we when when I'm, when we buy fast lenses, you know. A lot of the reason why is because we want to shoot them at that extra aperture. Um, and and yet this was definitely an instance where I looked at this lens and I looked at the results and I thought, yeah, you know, it really shines at F2. And I think it outshines most of my other F2 lenses yeah. at F2. Right. right. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't know if you guys get that. Oh, yeah. Feeling of, of shooting a fast lens and then stopping it down and thinking, well, this is dumb. What I didn't get this lens to shoot it stop down because I got other lenses that are the same maximum aperture. Yeah, um, Carl famously gave me a, a wheelbarrow load of crap about uh, undeserved. Yeah, <laughs> right. Exactly uh, about uh, shooting fast lenses stop down to say f eight <laughs> or a, or a particular expensive, very fast lens that's only actually uh, usable at f eight. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so i can i can relate to that i mean i i can definitely re relate to that i mean I, that, that that's why like i think of like the the canon lens that got talked about a lot this week on the uh facebook group 
um, the Canon 35 F2 LTM. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, I very rarely ever shoot it wide open. I usually shoot it stop down a hair to take that edge off. Um, so like to me that that's really what you do with super fast lenses is you stop them down a little bit because they're, they're much better stop down. Right. So like a 35 F2 at 2.8 is going to be better than a 35 2.8 at 2.8. Mm-hmm. That kind of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And what I've never really done. Oh, sorry. Go on, Simon. I was going to say there's a, a, a few things in the, in there. I mean, just, just come back to the last thing that was said about, you know, a, a faster lens at, um, the same aperture is wide open on the slower lens, like it, you know, as you say, just with, with two point eight there. Um, not sure if that's always in, in, entirely true. Uh, not always, because um, I think slower lenses that are known to be slower lenses tend to be better at, right. at an open aperture, generally. Anyway, and uh, the the example right, right. I would always use there is the Carl Zeiss. Um, contact Yushika Sonar 85 2.8 um, yeah, uh-huh. which is stunning at 2.8 um, and at least as sharp as anything else at 2.8 that I've tested in the 85 millimeter range um, yeah so so yeah so that sort of that that goes goes I, against the grain on that on well that I, I think the wider you I think the wider angle the lens is the more true it is and the longer the lens is the less true it is so I like yeah maybe like a 135 2.5 those lens, i mean i think you can shoot those at 2.5 and they're gonna look awesome but i i think it's much harder when you get to a wider angle lens and you're really pushing the envelope on the design and you're shooting it wide open i think it's a lot if you're optically you know hmm. well it depends on the lens yeah um <clears throat> because you know a lot of people when they're buying fast lenses they want them to be like as good wide open uh, as they would be stopped down. But the beauty of classic lenses is there really are two types of lenses you'll get, right? The ones that are mm-hmm. good throughout the aperture range and the ones that objectively suck wide open, but that's where a lot of the character comes out. Yeah. And so, you know, to me, I quite like, like the Leica 51.5 Sumerit is one of those lenses where wide open, objectively, it's crap, but it looks really cool. Yes, it does. Right? <laughs> but once you've stopped it down to F4, it's as beautiful as, you know, any well-corrected vintage lens right yeah. well the the other the other point i was going to make about you know feeling guilty about stopping fast lenses down i mean there's there's you know that's a subject in itself really because it's it's down to the type of photography you, you might be doing so if you're using a fast lens because you want to get lots of out of focus areas and selective focus and all that kind of stuff then yeah, I, 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 it's, I can see how some people might feel a little bit odd stop, stopping it down. But if you're a, uh, an SLR shooter, um, then you know that fast lens is is more about the brighter viewfinder than it is about the about the shutter totally. speed, and, and it's and it's far less about that one point two, one point four, and it's just about using the appropriate aperture for the shot you want to take. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, that makes sense. So the guilt is misplaced. Maybe not necessarily. <laughs> if, if you were a bokeh shooter, then maybe yes. Well, you know that it, it's one of those things where I, it, it's one of the main things that would drive me to pick one lens over another, right? Like if I know I want to shoot at f one point four or one point five, if I want the image to be modern and sharp and crispy, then I'm going to grab something like the Zeiss Planner or the uh, Sumalux Spherical, 
right? But if I want crazy character wide open, that's where like, you know, the sonars and the Sumerit and all the other wacky lenses out there come in. So yeah, different yeah. tool for whatever type of image uh, yeah. you're trying to capture. And because I was shooting street at night, you know, I can't really go much more stop down than F2 uh, at ISO 800. But by stopping this lens down to F2, I knew I wasn't going to get some of the weird glow. Uh, the, the, the 35 F2 Canon doesn't really have the weird glow wide open. No. So, um, no that this doesn't. one does. And, and like the 1.8 has a lot less of it too. This lens is a particular one where wide open, it's very, very poorly corrected. Um, which can be nice in some shots, but but there are other shots where the the crazy field curvature just looks really stupid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, on that note, uh, we were talking before the show about quite a lot of people uh, seem to be bringing up the Canon thirty five millimeter f two and the f one point eight in our podcast Facebook group and. Do you think it's worth just quickly running through the different versions of the Canon 35 and like uh, yeah, giving a little do. mini buyer's guide? <laughs> we could do that. I actually, I have the uh, Canon camera museum open the page open up to the, uh, the S S lenses. Okay. So, so there are, there's the 1.5, the 1.8, the F2, the 2.8 and the 3.2. Correct. Is that all of them? Uh, there's also a 3.5. In this 35 point, millimeter, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. I've never tried the 3.2 or the 3.5, but I have all the other ones. Yeah. So the three point, I was just, <clears throat> I was just kind of looking at these so that the, the, um, the 3.5 is a four element lens. So it's going to be a Tessar. And mm-hmm. then the 3.2 is actually a six element lens. Uh, okay. That makes sense. So it's a double Gauss. Yeah, probably. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, and I've seen, <laughs> I've seen in person. Uh, we had a camera that was like left at the repair shop at Central Camera. We had a camera in for repair. It was a, I don't know, it was one of the Leica, um, Leica screw mount cameras, and it had on it a um, uh, thirty-five three-point two Cyranar, and it it's really tiny. I mean, it's like it's like mm-hmm. basically the same size as the. 35 3.5 Elmar. Yeah. But obviously it's a, you know, it, it's a double Gauss based on lens construction. So I, obviously it would render differently, but they're about the same size. And apparently I'm <clears throat> just looking at the Canon camera museum. It's saying that the 35 3.5 was only sold, was not sold in the U S so it was ho- sold probably, in Japan and maybe, you know, elsewhere. So I, I don't know that it's as common, at least here to come across. Uh, I don't know if I've seen one in person here. Hold on. Just, I've just, just gone on to that. I mean, I've, I haven't been on this site, this site before. Is this a, an American site then? It's not a Japanese site because it's, uh, well, it's, a, it's yeah, in but, English, but it's, it's Canon global. So because it goes here, not sold, sorry, sold, sold overseas over- only. Right. So, what country are we in when when we're reading that? That's that's true. I <laughs> I would yeah. assume Japan. Yeah. That's, that's yeah yeah exactly. I would assume so, but yeah. So that would mean that it could be sold in the U.S. and everywhere else. Could be. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay. Huh. And then the uh, there's also a few different versions of some of them, right? Like the 2.8 comes in the sort of black version and also the yeah. Serenar. Yeah, there's the Serenar version and then there's the, the black, sil- you know, the silver and yeah. black version. The and more the Serenar is, is, are, are those just older body designs? Like optically, are they the same? Um, I think it might say on here, but I, I think a lot of those, those black, uh, later, the black versions are the same optically as the previous versions. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought. And, the Serenites are just better built. And yeah, r- right. They're just heavier chrome and brass versus, you know, whatever the, the later ones are, but optically they're, they're basically the same, like the 50, excuse me, the 51.8 Serenar Mm -hmm. is apparently the same as the 51.8 Canon, the black one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense because they they render very similarly. Uh, But the 1.8 is way more expensive and way heavier. Yeah, yeah, it's it's much, it's like a totally different lens. I mean, Mm -hmm. it it feels totally different. You know, the, the other thing that's interesting about all these different variations of 35s is... I've read a bunch of posts online that essentially claim that the 1.8 and the F2 uh, render pretty much the same with some slightly better edge correction on the F2. Uh-huh. And I think that's BS. Yeah, it you, looks like BS. <laughs> I, the yeah, pictures. I, I, well, because if you Google, you know, uh, Canon 35 1.8 versus F2 LTM, those are the things that pop up to the top of the search on yeah. like rangefinder form and stuff. But I, I've had both those lenses for ages. Yeah. And the 35 F2 is very normal. Um, right. You know, there's a little bit of swirl at certain distances wide open, but it doesn't do anything yeah. kind of funky character-wise. It's just a good lens. Right. And it has the shortest th- focus throw by far of, of any of the others. Yeah. But the 1.8 has a really, really unique character. I love it. I think, you know, it's the way that it does contrast. Um, the, the bokeh is a little bit swirly. It's got it's lighter in the center quite significantly. So there's like lower contrast in the middle and then higher contrast around the edges. And this is really noticeable. If you have the 1.8, you stick it on a digital camera um, and go into live view and just put something in the middle versus something on the edge. And the contrast is totally different. And that looks awesome. Cause if you have a subject kind of fairly centered, they really pop out because all of the background, whether it's out of focus or, or on the same focal plane, is higher contrast, right? So when you've got like a higher contrast, darker background around a slightly more faded subject in the center, it really pops. The F2 does not do that. Yeah. No, it does not. The, the F2, the F, to me, the F2 is almost like a modern, renders like a modern lens. Like yeah, a, a part, right? Yeah. I'm, it's almost, I mean, almost like, it, almost like a, how a Voigtlander would render. Um, uh, I, I think it's got a little bit more of a vintage look, but yeah, I, yeah it compared to the right, other cannons, mm-hmm. yeah, it doesn't have quite as quite as much of that like super crispy contrast. It's it's a little more vintage looking, but the, to me, the the one point eight has a just like a totally old school look to it. Yeah, it has just like a the, like a classic old old school lens look to it. They seem very different to me. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So the thirty five f two. I would think of it as a substitute for something like a Sumicron. Yeah, um, exactly. Where, you know, it's got slightly uh, poor edges. Right. But apart from that, it's the only weird thing that lens does is if you stop the F2, the only weird thing it does is if you stop it down to F11, 
and then you point it at the sun, you get this crazy effect where the aperture blades show up in the picture. Yeah. Flare. And that's happened in a couple of my shots. I think Andrew Lawson pointed it out a while ago in our group and, and I saw that and I had to go and replicate it. Yeah. Um, but it totally happens and it's it's wild. I haven't seen any other lens that does that. Yeah, I, I actually the the shots that I took on the M uh the M three, I shot all on the thirty five F two and there's I there's it that lens flares in a very very interesting ways. Yeah. <laughs> so and I, I experimented with that a lot. I mean I I've shot that lens a ton, but I shot a lot into the sun because we actually had sun. So I'm like, let's take pictures of things in the sun. <laughs> and there's a lots and lots and lots of uh funky flares like it likes to flare in the extreme corners yes in the, in this weird way yeah, yeah i mean i kind of like it it's interesting it's different you know but yeah that lens definitely has it does not handle flare like a modern lens mm-hmm. and it has a, its own unique kind of characteristics flare wise yeah and then the 2.8 is also just very normal rendering yeah, I've, I've, I have them both, and I have the Cyranar 2.8, um, and it's very nice. I mean, it's it's nice. It's like, I don't want to call it boring, but I mean, it, but it doesn't have a whole lot of pop to it. It just, it renders yeah. really well, but it just doesn't kind of have a, any snap to it, if that makes sense. It's yeah. just like a, it's like a good, dependable, you know, above average lens. <laughs> that's exactly how i would describe it it's it's hefty and boring <laughs> okay so uh simon has gone silent because once again we're rabbiting on about rangefinder <laughs> lenses um so that's pretty much the end of my uh, apocalyptic week of shooting uh so shall we go from one apocalypse to another oh yeah what, sorry one one what to the what, oh because of the weather um, yes, you are. It's, it stopped snowing it's, ten yeah. minutes ago, Simon. And yeah. your, your your apocalypse is over. Is it, that what it, you're it telling us? It is. Us? Well, the, the sun's <laughs> out now. The, 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 the schools are shut. The the snow is melting. Uh, and uh, and uh, I've had one child has arrived. Um, there's another child out there somewhere. Um, so uh, he'll be making his making his way way home. But uh, uh, it, it's oh, it's a storm in a teacup. It really is. Um, it's it's done with anyway. That's. Uh, that's uh, that's that's the weather in Socon Trent. Um, so, my uh, things I've been up to. Uh, what I've been up to? That was it. I did a photo walk. Oh, I sorry, the, yes. not not to interrupt you. Yeah, uh, Simon, but I I have just pulled up the AccuWeather forecast for Stoke on Trent. <laughs> Do you do the AccuWeather forecast there in Stoke on Trent? I am aware of it, but it's not something I use regularly. All right. Well, the minute cast. For Stoke on Trent says snow starting in 33 minutes, so you have half an hour until the apocalypse resumes. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> and now I'm looking at the radar, and you, oh, you're in for it, my friend. Well, if, if it helps, I'm actually slightly on the north, not the north. I'm on the southeast of the city. I'm strictly okay. speaking, technically, I'm not actually in Stoke on Trent. I'm in something called Staffordshire Moorlands, but I'm virtually am. Um, in, on very high ground as well, relatively as well. So yeah. we we do well. We get more more weather up here than we do down in down down the hill in the uh, in the city. I have the I have the future cast playing right now. I'm going to click the future cast and see what this looks like, and I'm just going to give you the, the weather report in Stoke. So you have weather moving in from uh, the west. 
It's coming across. Uh, oh, I can't pronounce any of these places. It's in. It's in. <laughs> it's in Chester. Chester. And, yeah. Yeah. Well, well done. So there's, that's, there's, that's a tough word. That one. Yeah. Yeah, that was a tough one. So there's a line. There's a line of storms from uh, Shrewsbury in the south up to Nantwich yes, in the north. Yeah, yeah. And that's moving in your direction right now. Yeah. You, that, you pronounce Shrewsbury better than a lot of Brits do because I don't know why so many people call it Shrewsbury. Shrewsbury? No, well, yeah. Shrew- okay, so Shrewsbury, um, my, my dad's family is all from New England and there's Shrewsburys everywhere in New England. So it's not an, not an unusual, unusual word for me anyway. Well, the, well, that's that's a. There's there's always a bit of a debate over how to actually say that word uh, over here because it, and it's I've I've worked there and I call it Shrewsbury, and yeah. uh, the people that or most people all the people I've known that have lived there call it that way. Um, but for some reason, if you're out of the out of that town, then it's called Shrewsbury, and huh. and I've never really understood why that is. So uh, I I do it. I say it the way that they say it, and that's Shrewsbury. Yeah, huh? It's wow. it's it's on it's on football podcasts that they call it Shrewsbury, and it makes no sense because there's no O. No. <laughs> no. Yeah. So so Simon, before you start telling us about why the M2 is the best camera you've ever shot with, uh, <laughs> you, you also you also got a fair bit of stick for uh, claiming that you were a Northerner because of your scone pronunciation. <laughs> Can you explain the cultural significance of this pushback? Okay. Okay. Um, I, I think what was it? I can't remember the exact phrase. Almost a northerner. Um, okay, <laughs> we're talking about England now, rather than talking about the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland uh, to give our country its proper name, which most people don't really understand that one either. But that's a, that's don't a, worry, it's that's, a, that's another matter anyway. itself. Um, and um, Ben Reynolds uh, scoffed at that being Scottish. Um, because, uh, <laughs> because that's further north of any part of northern England. Um, so, but, so yeah, so when, when people call somebody from England a northerner, or even somebody from Britain a northerner, they, they're talking about somebody that lives probably about three miles north of my house, uh, where, where officially uh, the north of England starts. But because it's ever so slightly past where I am, I'm not technically a northerner. Um, I'm a Midlander, uh, but a north yeah. Midlander. Wait, wait, so, wait, so so somewhere like Newcastle would be considered north, the north of England. Yeah. Yes. Or, or somewhere like although New- somewhere like that, that's a little bit more specific because we'd say Geordies. And um, you'll just have to speak for a moment. I, do, I need to let one of my children into the house. So if you just bear with me a second. All right. I, I have to give him more geographical stick after he comes back uh, with his that's- child. Oh, well, hopefully not with his child in the podcast room. Hopefully his child doesn't have, you know, frostbite from trudging through the, the, the depths of snow blanketing the region. <laughs> Holy crap. I just opened up Google Maps and looked up Stoke-on-Trent. Yeah. If you have that in front of you, I do. check it out. Look at the traffic. <laughs> <laughs> Look at, oh my God. Is this what happens when it snows? <laughs> <laughs> It might be given justification for the school closing at the moment if that's, if that's happened. Yeah, everybody's driving over to pick the kids up. I mean, it came it came down very heavy. It was it was a proper whiteout. So um, so yeah. So I, I guess I guess there was probably some justification there. I, I just sent you guys a screenshot of Stoke on Trent traffic 
from <laughs> my Google Maps. That's insane. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've got it. I have it up now too. <laughs> Uh, well, actually, you can. The bit where I am, just uh, it's, it, I'm placed um, just slightly to the left of uh, Warrington on that map. So uh, just uh, directly uh, to, to the east with Hanley, uh, which is in the centre, which is the, uh, the 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 city centre or not the civic centre. And things get very confusing with Stoke on Trent. Um, but yeah, so uh, it looks like the main road outside my house is blocked anyway. So if I was going on the rescue mission, I would have to gone on foot anyway. But both of them have, have come back in record time, uh, probably sliding down the hill uh, because we live on a hill. <laughs> Gosh, so, I'm uh, surprised. I'm surprised they didn't uh, take advantage of this opportunity to say, "Well, I don't know. There was snow. It, we got delayed along the way. They could have been in all sorts of mischief for hours." <laughs> That's the no. thing that kids kids these days they they risk no they don't no exactly they don't do that anymore yeah yeah you got to let them play in the dirt to uh, build up their immune systems against the coronavirus <laughs> to I totally uh, agree totally agree yeah. so yeah home way too early so but before showers now and things like that and to get warm I don't know what's up with them these days they want food yes yeah, yeah. oh. So before before our new listeners uh, switch off the podcast, just to finish <laughs> off on the the geographical stick I need to give you, um, Birmingham comfortably the Midlands, yes, yes. So Newcastle north of England, Leeds north of England, northern. You're, oh, you, you oh consider- yeah, yeah, they're, they're definitely northerners, proper northerners. Manchester and Liverpool, yes, proper northerners. Blackpool, yes, northerners. Oh, Blackpool's north of Liverpool, so you would consider yeah. Liverpool north of England. Uh, well, yeah, it is in that in that uh, in that term. Yeah. What about Nottingham? They're in the same boat as us. I mean, they they have East Midlands, but they're sort of on on the same latitude as us, along with Derby as well. Um, they no. they probably have similar similar feelings. Okay, I'm I'm just saying, if you look at a map of England, Stoke to me is bang in the middle, not to the north. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, it depends on what you what you call the middle as well. Somebody did uh, the did the maths on this. I say maths uh, because we don't say math in in Britain, um, and they calculated where the middle of Britain was, and it was somewhere close to rugby, I think it was. And uh, and if you if you do it right and you do a cutout of of Britain, the island of Great Britain, um, and you put a pin in it to the point where everything balances, it's somewhere around about rugby, which is actually quite, which is a lot further south uh, than yeah, than right. on trend. But you've got far more of a landmass in the south, because you've got Wales balancing it in the in southwest and southeast England as well. This is fascinating, yeah. isn't it? It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're bo- you're a little bottom heavy. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So yeah, um, northern only in the ter- only when we're talking about England. Um, certainly not uh, when you when you're talking about the, the actual island of Great Britain. Um, so, you know, as you, you you cross the Scottish border, if you want to get up to the the top of uh, up to the top of Scotland, you've got many many hours of driving to go again. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Well, there we go. Yeah, yeah. All right. So tell us why the M2 is fantastic. Well. <laughs> I did the photo walk. That's the Sunny 16 photo walk uh, in Oxford in the UK, uh, which was a beautiful day. We thought it was going to get um, rained out or gailed out because a a storm came in that evening and uh, there's been 
um, blasting Britain since, and then and dumping a load of snow on us as we as we've just been speaking at least. And um, but it was a beautiful day, gorgeous blue skies, and Oxford's a place that I've been on, on there on business a couple of times, but I've never really had a chance to look around it. And it's got beautiful um, Cotswold stone or local. The stone's local there, and it's very close to the Cotswold, so I assume it comes over from the Cotswolds. And uh, and it's like a um, a beautiful sandy, orange, a yellow sandy colour. Um, and that against um, a really nice blue sky uh, made me feel like I really should have turned up with colour film. <laughs> it was just it was just beautiful in colour. And and I think uh, possibly about the fact that I wish I had colour. And two, there were just so many interesting people um, on that, that walk that I don't think I was really in that much of a mood to actually take photographs. But I did take, take I took the M2 and I took my Sumicron, uh, 50mm Sumicron, and I didn't take another lens because I thought that's, that's what I'm going to use. And uh, if I want to go wide angle, I'll use a Mu2. Um, which I'm just giving giving a test to see if it works, and then if I want to go really wide, I also took my horizon with me as well. Uh, so mm. so, uh, so pretty well pretty well set up, and I took a few po photos with the Mu2, um, and I took a few photos with the uh, horizon. Um, I'm particularly looking forward to two of the shots. Actually, we took more than two, but realised I got the settings wrong. Um, but it, towards the end of the walk, uh, we ended up at a pub, as you do, and that's where the photograph was taken uh, with the, the people that were left from the photo walk. There were 22 people on that photo walk, uh, which is pretty incredible. Um, but at the end of it, we ended up at the pub and dropped all the cameras on the table, as you do, to, to get the group camera shot. And uh, And then after that, we uh, it was like a long table and we we're sitting there one end to the other but on both sides and I was thinking oh, well this is great for a panorama shot because I can get everybody in um, sitting at this table um, and also realized that the shutter speed was going to be pretty slow um, so I think I, I don't know if it was about about eighth of a second or some something like that at 2.8 um, so I thought well I said let's let's just do this handheld and just to see how it goes and I did mine and then I handed it over to Fraser Yule who's a, an experienced Horizon user um, as in he had one I think a few weeks ago um, and he did the same it was just just it was just quite comical just watching this this sweeping lens go very very slowly and you just know there's going to be so much camera shake in there but uh, I'm I'm just really looking forward to seeing those shots because they're just going to be fun um, so Plenty of, well, a few shots with the Horizon, a few shots with the Mew, and I didn't even bother getting the, the M2 out. For the entire photo walk? No. Well, I did to show it to people. <laughs> and they, 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 they admired it because it looked nice, and I, and I had a, a yellow, nice yellow filter on it. Yeah, I was going to say, I noticed the yellow filter, perfect for the blue skies you were describing. Yeah. But no, it stayed in there. And I put a fresh roll of, uh, well, a fresh roll of film. It wasn't, wasn't obviously it wasn't new film. Uh, expired in 20, uh, oh, 2013. So it wasn't that old. Uh, some Acros. Um, so I thought, guess put some really good film in there and uh, and all be good. And I think it was just one of those things where I just wasn't really in the mood to take pictures. I, I, I don't think it was the fault of the camera why I didn't use it because I, I wasn't really in the zone with the with the Mew and I wasn't really in the zone even even with the Horizon, which is the best camera ever, as we all know. Yeah. So so the entire photo walk, you only took pictures of the other people's cameras at the pub? Um, I think I took some pictures of things. 
I can't remember many of the things I took pictures of. I think I took a lot of pictures because I just felt, well, I've got to do something. So uh, actually, I think I did get a wide angle, a horizon shot of the Bridge of Sighs um, in the, in Oxford. So uh, and I went underneath it to, uh, to to fill the frame with the horizon, and, it, and it's 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 that bridge famous um because it looks it looks like the uh actually i'm not even sure i don't know my uh my shakespeare that well but there's connections there with romeo and juliet but i think that we're talking about venice not uh or, or somewhere in Italy, yeah. Anyway, rather than actually yeah. Oxford. <laughs> now, wasn't um, that that play was not set in Oxford? Ex ex exactly. <laughs> but, but the that the uh, for some for some reason that that bridge of size is. Um, is uh, connected forever uh, with Romeo and Juliet for for no good reason it appears. Yeah. Um, so uh, so yeah. So I got that. So this is arched uh, walkway, and I was underneath it, and I'm I'm looking forward to see how that that turns out with such a uh, an arched shape pointing upwards with the horizon. It might even make the thing straight. Who, who knows what it's going to do? So uh, so looking forward to that. Um, Jeremy North was there with the G2 that I'd been been using before, which looked great. And everybody who picked it up was going, "Oh, this is nice," and it is. It is. It's just a, it's a it's a lovely camera. Whether I would have actually taken any more pictures if I'd used the G2, I don't know. I really don't know. Um, and there were lots of people giving me advice on whether I should. Uh, because it seems like everybody knew about my problems with with uh, Leica twos. <laughs> Um, to be like Shine Morrison when he when he put that post up one uh, in the early hours of one morning, and I woke up to about 30, 30 comments about what I should do uh, with, mm -hmm. uh, with 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 cameras. Um, and uh, particular thanks to uh, Robbie Jameson, um, who literally spelt out um, um, <laughs> you know, my 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 issue. Uh, in that he put the line as he, he, he spelt it out with. You do not like rangefinders. You know? <laughs> yeah. You know, so he, um, maybe true, maybe true. But I'm, he is I'm, messaging me right now about why you should get a contact G two <laughs> <laughs> as you're talking. Yeah. Uh, but it's lovely. It's lovely. But there you go. Okay. Um, so yeah. So I, I can't. I can't rule out saying that. Yeah. The G two's got 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 to go. Uh, sorry. Uh, the M two's got to go. Just just yet. Oh boy. Okay, so we have to tackle this, right? This this elephant in the room of all of the people who have come out and basically said, "Simon, you you dummy, you got to get a G two now." Mm -hmm. Obviously, you have to get a G two, right? Yeah, that that's that stands to reason. Yeah, I'm with you so far. And I think you have enough non G two things to do a Johnny esque conversion trade type thing and i think that is what you should do because if you have a camera that speaks to you like the g2 does yeah. right find a way to not spend money and get one of those things the thing is i sort of did that recently when when that uh zy 75 1.5 biotar came into my life uh -huh. and, and uh, quite a few things mm -hmm. disappeared then so uh, and that was painful that really was painful um and so i'd act i've actually got to go even deeper uh now in the pain zone uh to do such a thing so that's not as easy as it as it sounds okay that is fair enough but <laughs> let me let me <laughs> let me read you a quote from robbie j about this from earlier <laughs> he says perry it was so painful to me to listen to simon talk about the reason he loves the contacts g2 
is because he can manually focus it. Oh, wait, that's something else. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> he said, it made my soul cry. Um, but he says, the the only two times in 105 episodes that Simon has ever expressed <laughs> what a reasonable person would describe as joy is with a G2 and his horizon. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So a little bit of reverse Marie Kondo here. Uh, if it sparks joy, you should get it. Right. Right. Yeah. There's there's there's, there's definite logic there. Can't argue with that. Can't argue with that. Plus, plus dude, all, so, all of uh, your other all of your other contacts cameras are electronic, right? Let's, let's 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 move on, shall we? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you you dodge the main conversation the now, aren't you? Yes. Anyway, let me tell you more about what happened in Oxford. Um, okay. But you're just just being very quiet on me now. Oh, I just I realised my. Uh, I'm on mute. I can't hear. Yeah, you. You, you've ah, muted everybody. Again, I think. Were you shouting at <laughs> me then? Yeah, I was we were saying tons of stuff. Did you? What did you? Did you just block all of that out of the recording? I didn't hear a word of that. No, I heard all of it, Perry. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god. Well, there, there you go. Um, so we, we were talking over while I was while I was speaking there, or just let me ramble on incoherently. <laughs> Well, you were kind of mumbling about trading and stuff, and I was reading to you Rob Jameson quotes. Oh, I got that. I got that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Fair. So, uh, jury's out. Um, we'll we'll see. Um, yes, I may sell some stuff. I probably could and should. Um, I might have a have a look to see what's going on there. Um, but the other the other side of it is one of the, when I, when I did I did hold the uh, the G two again. And it's very reminiscent of uh, my contacts SLRs as well, the way it feels. And th the other answer to this is just use my SLRs more often. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Which, yeah, that could that could see me through till uh, this this bargain G two enters my life one day. What when was the last time you shot film with your favorite lens? I don't even know what my favorite lens is. Which on which? The fifty one four planner. Oh. Um, Probably about ooh. Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> wow, that's bad. <laughs> well, the thing is, last last time I've been last time I've been using the the contacts cameras, I've been adapting all sorts of things to it. So I've been I've been putting like Soviet night vision M forty two lenses onto it and so on, and having a you know a an aperture priority contacts. Uh, camera which is just great it's just great great fun i mean that's one of the, that's always one of the problems of having so many damn lenses isn't it it's like what do you use and do you use something mm. normal um or do you do you use something a bit wacky because you can and and i've been going down the wacky route probably too often which is what we were talking about a few weeks ago with that using that industar and getting better photographs out of an industar than i did out of my petsvel and perhaps i should just rein myself in a little bit and actually just use the tools that, that in the way that they were actually designed yeah 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 i sort agree of, with that sort of makes sense anyway um other other, other things with the uh the photo walk which uh graham from the sunday 16 podcast organized along with nasa hamid um and uh the the a couple of highlights um uh, that I, I just want to recall uh the first one um, because this happened twice, uh, and that was uh, NASA um, was one of the people that came with their M2, 
and and uh, he made a point to show me his new or new to him uh, quick load kit. Um, I think it was possibly as a as a way for to, to reinforce just how good the M2 is. And Simon, you pass you if you had a quick load kit, perhaps you might like your M2 more, something like that. Anyway, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if that was exactly his motivation, but uh, so so yeah. So uh, a small crowd gathered uh, while he, he demonstrated uh, the, the, the quick load kit uh, to me and several other people, and uh, he, he promptly demonstrated how to how to load a, a roll of film using a quick load kit in roughly about the same amount of time as it would take me to fumble um, with one with my, without a quick load kit. So, uh, so that was um, it was a, it was a valiant valiant effort by by NASA, um, but it, it didn't didn't quite convinced me and then uh, late, later on in the shoot as well um, I, I caught him in the corner of my eye loading another another roll in, into it and having similar problems um, using the quick load kit um, is that have you have either of you guys used a, a quick load kit into a, into an M2 no I have no idea how they I've seen them but I have no idea how they work yeah I haven't used one I, I mean are they really that hard to load yeah well, because it's how does it work? Is it this little? Because there's a little piece. There's two pieces, right? Yeah, uh, one one piece attaches to the plate, uh, to the to the base plate of the camera. Um, so that that um, I think it's the bit where you uh, you you turn it and uh, uh, and the camera opens up. I think it's on that side. And uh, I think the idea is it's a guide to push the to to keep the film in a certain direction. Um, listeners correct me on that one i wasn't entirely clear about that um and the other the other part was um is it's like a, a, a an open an open cylinder with a slit and the idea is that you you make sure that's aligned properly and you just drop the the end of the uh, roll of film into it and, and wind it on right with, the spool you mean yeah and, and and without having to clip it in which is what you have to do with uh, with the m2 as it as it currently stands so it's it's a little bit fiddly but it's just one of those things i think with practice you can just you can just deal with and when i was chatting to paul bullock who also brought his m2 with him he was saying when he bought his it actually came with a spare spool and and i was thinking oh, that was a bit odd and, uh, and he was explaining that um back in the day people would have these spare spools and they would actually have film partially right. wound on so yeah. That, yeah if you're out in the field and you needed to make quick changes then you've already got that part of the job is is is, is done and out of the way which which, right. which makes sense yeah and, and saves I, you that whole 14 seconds of <laughs> fitting the leader into the take-up spool <laughs> yeah I mean, to, to me i it just seemed like you know if you if you shoot enough rolls of film through the conventional m2 then you i would imagine you could get pretty 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 handy with it but right. i suppose the same applies once you know i mean i'm, I'm being horrible to nasa here you know it's, it's a case of once you once you've got used to to the equipment and this this quick load i'm sure it will say it will shave off you know time in in that process and sometimes i guess you know that could be that could be very valuable so uh, to some people that that's a it'll be a modification well worth having i guess yeah, yeah I, I, I've never found – I mean, it's a little bit more annoying to load an M2 or an M3 than an M4 or an M6, but I've, I've never found it annoying enough that it would want me to modify or use a different spool, hmm. you know. Yeah. Unless you get a spool, a take-up spool that has a really tight clip, um, that can be a little bit tricky. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, I have no idea where where mine is on the scale, but uh, but yeah, I'm 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 happy enough. It's it's not it's not a factor that makes me not want to use it. I don't. It doesn't. It just doesn't register as being a, a specific issue for me. I th- I think my my biggest issue, and again, I think I was talking to Paul about this. Um, it's that thing about. I, th- I think as a as an SLR shooter, uh, primarily an SLR shooter, I'm pretty obsessed by critical focus, and you've got to let go of that to some degree. Uh, with certainly with fast shooting with a rangefinder, and you're relying far more on your depth of field, and I get that. It just it just it just makes sense. It's a different way of shooting, but I I really struggle to let go of of nailing that critical focus and I, and so therefore i'd be wanting to use a rangefinder in the same way as i use an slr and that's not good right yeah. yes because the lenses you're shooting are not wide enough as well yeah but so i'll be shooting well that was i suppose that was the thing that put me off immediately because the light wasn't great to, to start off with i got iso 100 film in and it was giving me 125th of a second at f4 and I'm thinking, well, that's quite important to have a good, good critical focus. Um, it's not going to be good for fa- fast shooting there. I mean, the light changed and it went, it went very, very, very nice. Um, although interestingly, it was also, you know, you go from one corner to the other, and they're going to be. Sh- it was quite contrasted light at times, and you got plenty of shadows and then, and then lots of brightness. And I think that was the other thing that put me off it because I think I'd have to constantly. Uh, work out what my exposure is now the 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 two kinds of exposure were pretty obvious it was either going to be one exposure at a certain speed and a certain aperture and as soon as you turn the corner you just knock it down to this other one but I think actually that 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 mental process that I would would have to use I just couldn't be bothered and I'll be there thinking you know if this was a g2 I'll just set my aperture to where I want it to be and I'll just let the camera get on with it and and I'd lose myself in the photography instead of having to like have this make this mental adjustment every time that the light changed. So I found found that quite annoying and that's why I probably took as you know more photos or some photos with the with the, with the compact camera and I was very happy using it. It was a little fiddly thing. Um and it felt like it wanted to slip out of my hands. But it it, it did what I wanted it to do and I didn't have to think. So that was just a, a more enjoyable process for me. So there, there's quite a lot there. Um, obviously we don't need to reprise the conversation about why wide angle lenses are actually easier to focus on a rangefinder than a, an SLR. Um, but the whole reticence to meter is kind of interesting to me because uh, A, that obviously has nothing to do with the camera you're using unless it has aperture priority. But B, I was actually having a very similar conversation with my girlfriend last night when we were shooting Cinestill, because um, she always shoots aperture priority on her Konica Hexar. And I told her, don't shoot aperture priority because you cannot trust the camera's meter uh, in artificial light. And, and I kind of demonstrated to her because I was like pointed towards that bright area. Oh, it's giving you like a thousand or, or two thousand. Now pointed to the area right next to it and it's giving you a thirtieth. So we shot the entire night at f2 1 over 60 because that that works for cine still um and i i just find i find it interesting that you know you did 90 percent of the work which is okay there's two possible exposures under this lighting condition i'm going to shoot at this you know exposure value and uh, under this lighting condition i'm going to shoot at this exposure value and that seems quite effective that seems quite good right so yeah what? I, I just i just i just couldn't be bothered 
I just just I wanted to end. <laughs> yeah, there, there were, it was a, a walk with places I, I was just quite happy to look at, let alone take photographs mm. with. And there That's were lots fair. there were lots of people to talk with. I think if I was on my own, it would be a different matter. Mm. But it would be just be me, and my thoughts, and my camera. Um, but you know, at any moment, somebody might come up to me and say something, or I might want to go and speak to somebody at at any moment. And I think I wanted to devote more time to the people I was with and the experience I was having than than that than the actual photography. Whereas, and 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 the Mew allowed me to do that in the same way as the uh, um, the Horizon does as well. Although, arguably, you know that that it's it's no different from the from the Leica in that case. You know, you've got apertures and you've got to work out your shutter speed. But um, it's just you you. You tend to use that in a very specific way. You don't do you don't use the horizon as a snapshot mm -hmm. camera, so that so you 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 will take into consideration the, the changes of light with that camera. Yeah, that totally makes sense because photo walks are about the social experience, right? Like I, I never get good photos on the photo walk as well because you just want to talk to people and hang out with other camera nerds. Yeah, although I will say you missed a golden opportunity to do people running across the horizon frame shots. <laughs> there, there was a bit of talk about that and we were trying to work out exactly how to, how to do those, those double, you know, where the, where the person ends up in the, in, in the same image uh, twice. I've, I've still haven't quite got my head around actually how to do that. We'll have to do that offline and work out how to, how to do that kind of shot. But that's really cool. And it would have been a good mm -hmm. opportunity to do that. I think. Yes. Yeah. I've attempted and failed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a it's a tricky one. Um, hey, hey, yeah. Question about the photo walk. Mm -hmm. um, I I saw that Graham Jago brought his underwater Nikon camera because uh, we discussed that briefly on Sunny Sixteen. Uh, basically, he went and shot some street photography or something on a photo walk with Aid, and he got through twenty four frames out of thirty six on this underwater camera because it was raining, uh, and then he couldn't finish the role for like a year. Did he finish that role? Uh, no, he didn't have that camera with him. At oh, least, okay. At I, least just... I don't think he did anyway. Because um, he posted a photo of four cameras um, on, on oh, Instagram right, or yeah. something. Well, I, I it was one of them. Yeah, I, I only saw him with two cameras. Uh, one was a, an F3 uh, with a 105 2.5 uh, pre-AI. Um, which obviously I complimented him on his taste on that one, having the, having, using the good one. Um, mm -hmm. And he also had, uh, I, I can't remember which, which one it was, but it was, it was his ice icon and it was a lovely little thing, but it was a 645 folder uh, that was rangefinder coupled. Do we know which one that one is? So it would be like oh, an yeah, yeah. It's, or some description, I guess. It's or... in the picture, right? Is the, it looks like a, a, a Netar. Um, right. Is it, is it one twenty or uh, yeah, it's thirty five mil? It's, it's one twenty, but it's it's a six four five. So it's a it's and it, it's a really nice sized medium format camera, which uh, with it with a with a with a rangefinder as well, coupled rangefinder. Yeah, I think I think it's a Zeiss Icon Netar of some form, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, yeah, I thought it might have been a Netar, but then I wasn't entirely sure. Was yeah. it? But it, it looked like a shrunken uh, Super Iconta. So uh, yeah, that was that mm -hmm. was a that was a gorgeous camera. That was that was a shot that uh, that was the camera that he had had some Pan F in for a long time, and uh, and he's put a post up on on Instagram, I think, possibly today, um, 
at, at confirming uh, something that was uh, that was said a while back that the if you shoot pan f and you leave it in your camera for a long time or, or just you've shot this and you don't develop it um you gradually start to lose your image and that's it i've heard that too really that's true yeah well it's it was i think it was somebody from ilford uh, had said that to him so they should know um and uh and that's absolutely what happened with his role so the the shots that he took this weekend were fine um but the shots that were over a year ago there was not much left of them from what i can gather oh that's that's so interesting because you normally hear of wacky issues like that with higher speed films yeah. but i guess it's it's iso 50 right so yeah it just fades over time that's that's right but i i think it's okay if it's in your camera unused uh, but as soon as it's actually been exposed then uh, it, it loses its image relatively quickly do you know uh, what happens if you re-expose the same frame? No, <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but perhaps Johnny, Johnny do you have any idea? Uh, you'll get a double exposure. <laughs> but what if the first image has faded? It's not going to fade that much. <laughs> Just throw it in the freezer. Okay, but but it sounds like what Simon is saying is that it's it fade. Uh, number one, I'm, it's a it, I think it's a super iconic because you mentioned it's rangefinder coupled before Cheyenne Morrison comes in and corrects us. Um, but wait, so so he shot some pictures ages ago, yeah, and then he finished the role on the photo walk and they developed it and the earlier images had faded. Yes, it completely faded or just faded a bit. Uh, I I don't know, but they were no, it was noticeable. Very, yeah, very noticeable. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. They're probably just underexposed to stop. Yeah. But they probably I, look just underexposed. Yeah. But I'm, I'm, I would I would imagine, though, that you know, when you say the mic, you know, could you shoot it again? And I would have thought the answer is, yes, you would be a, a double exposure. But I would, would have thought the answer is no, because once it's exposed, it's chemically changed, isn't it? It doesn't, it doesn't go back to its previous state, surely. It's, it's, uh, it is a latent image yes. once it's exposed. Yeah. Hmm. Well, perhaps somebody can tell us, or even try it. Uh, um, but yeah, it does. It doesn't. That that sort of doesn't make sense to me anyway. But who knows? It, it may. It may well do. Um, um, so other other things from that that walk. Um, I just want to. Say it's effectively a shout out for Sean Hall, um, who was actually my uh, Secret Santa um, uh, recipient. Um, so uh, that was nice to catch up with because I've been talking to Sean for a while on, on Instagram but never actually met him so uh, very nice chap he is too and uh, he did nothing to um, to um, persuade me to keep my M2 and then uh, dropped in there that he might might be interested in my M2 if I should should I sell it <laughs> so uh, so that was that was amusing um, so whether whether or not I, I if, if if my M2 goes then uh, Sean's put tabs on that one so uh, we'll we'll see what happens on that um, but he rescued me uh, because at one point I was uh, I was flagging because it was it was coming up to lunchtime I'd been up quite a while and I needed food and it was going to be some time before we were going to eat and, the, and he pulled out a Tunnock's caramel bar oh I mean that's just like perfect I mean, that was, it was almost it was quite possibly the best moment of the entire day uh, so th thank you for that Sean um, and then uh, another thing was uh, meeting Dave Walker um, and it's somebody that I've only recently started following on on Instagram but Dave is uh, uh, a camera hacker 
uh, is, is perhaps the best way of putting it. And he was he had with him a six twenty box camera with an LCD electronic shutter. What? Oh my god! Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's just brilliant. You know, a proper Franken camera. Um, and uh, and he and and this is this is one of those things that um, anybody that's interested in in the future of film photography should be really really interested in um, because shutters and film uh, cameras are a big deal, um, especially for, for cameras going going forwards because those people who have attempted to uh, introduce new film cameras have had serious problems when it gets to the shutter virtually everything else you can you can do but when you get to the shutter things get uh, well it's a real problem because uh, nobody's really making them in any in small quantities so there's just a few people out there that are experimenting doing doing all of these things trying to get a a working <laughs> shutter um there's a few people having some progress with large format shutters um but at the smaller end it's a, it's a it's it's a little bit tricky because things are smaller um and miniaturizing things is is, is difficult but uh, uh but uh, dave's got a, a way of using two lcd panels which have polari polarized light and then one panel is at 90 degrees to the other so um when using polarized light and what and at when the lines are uh, um, perpendicular then no light comes through or very little light comes through and then you can electronically control that to uh, to switch that on and off and therefore you've got yourself a shutter so he's got this arduino computer stuck on the back of this this 1930s box camera which looks really incongruous uh, but brilliant all all at the same time so um so yeah so i'm keeping tabs on uh, on dave and see how he gets on with that because that might be a another solution for you know for doing stuff with barrel lenses and things like that on large format so pretty exciting stuff that was that's absurd that's crazy it's crazy yeah <laughs> yeah ab absolutely so uh so yeah so that was my trip to oxford and pretty much what i did last week so uh how about you johnny what you've been up to oh well developing some film and scanning some film and shooting some film and kind of the usual uh except i did it this week with the m2 well i did it yeah this i guess i guess this week uh counts speaking of last week at this time because it happened over the past week so yes i did do that uh, uh really right after last week's podcast because it was sunny for a few brief moments um so i got to shoot the the m2 or the M3? sorry the m3 yeah um which i got to shoot uh right after the podcast and then I, yeah, i've shot a little bit this week too it's been just very overcast and gross though so not a lot of joy um so that i mean that's it i've just been really kind of shooting that camera <laughs> to the exclusion of everything else because it's new and i can shoot it um so i mean other than that i have not done a whole lot are you enjoying the user experience compared oh, yeah. to your Oh yeah, no, it's 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 great. I mean, it's 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 really nice. I there there are still. T I mean, and it's not like I'm I'm familiar with the camera. I mean, I've shot. I I play with these things all the time at the mm. shop when I'm bored. Um, but I'm still every once in a while I fire the shutter. I'm like, 
Is that shutter? Is there something wrong with the shutter? I'm not sure it fired because it's just so stupidly quiet. It's so quiet. Yeah. <laughs> it's just bizarre. I mean, I'm not one of those people that really cares that much about shutter noise. I think it's one of those really big non-issues. <laughs> I, it's, but, a, dude, it's a thing. It's totally a thing, though. Because well, it's a, it's a thing. It's a thing I don't care about. Oh, fair, fair, fair. Yeah, it's just it, to me. It's just kind of. I, I mean. Okay, so it's quiet. I, you know, but it's just it's unnervingly quiet. Let's put it, that's what I'm that's what I'm saying. It's un- it's unner- unnervingly quiet. It's very interesting that you've been shooting that and I've been shooting the Bessa R. Uh, because last night when I was shooting this Bessa R, there were a few times where I was crouching down uh, on the ground to get a lower point of view or yeah. sort of in a tight market, and when people walked past the walk past me onto the place where I'd pre-focused, I would fire the shutter and the Bessa R is so much louder than the Leicas that yeah. a, a lot of them would just look straight at me after I took the picture. And I'm not right. used to that. I'm like, well, you heard my shutter? What the hell? Right. <laughs> yeah. Because that thing yeah. is like, it's a clack, you know? Yeah, it's 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 much louder. Yeah, it's properly SLR loud. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it's kind of, it's a little bit unnerving how quiet it is at times, uh, but it's, it's really, really fun to shoot. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's, you know, it's really, really fun to shoot. I think if you could mix this camera and a, a Canon P or a Canon L or whatever, you'd have the perfect camera. Like if you put a normal film back on it, that sort of thing. Oh, right. Yeah. Like the perfect camera. Yeah. But no, it's 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 extremely enjoyable to 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 use. It really is. So yeah, they are. I, it's it was. I'm I'm very very glad that I that I did it. So, do you? Um, I noticed that the rolls that you shot were uh, basically just triax with the Canon 35 f2, right? Yep. Do you have any tips for avoiding triax curl? Not not this. So this obviously isn't about the Leica. Um, I, you know, I don't know because I don't really feel that my triax is all that curly. Um, I'm looking at, I, I'm, I mean, I'm looking at my sleeve negatives right now. Let me go, let me go pick one up. Here's a sleeve. I have in front of me a sleeve of triax and it's curls. Mine, mine tend to have a curl along the, you know, the right edge, the right cut edge in the, uh, negative sleeves. And if uh-huh. I take a, let me take a strip of negatives out and see what happens. Yeah, it's got a bit of a curl towards the right side, but it's not, God, it's not that bad. I well, know. you know, I, I am borderline ready to give up on Tri-X because of this curl. Really? Because the, the other films that I really like, like Roly RPX 400, XP2, even Kentmere, they yeah. do not curl at all all after i finished developing them they're like just completely flat yeah they're very Uh, right there's some films that are flat lay flatter than others yeah and because i am lazy and use a flatbed scanner the curl is uh it's a big problem and you know last week when i was talking about the rico lens being soft on film i think it turns out that my tracks was just curly yeah well the problem is your scanner not your film so there you go but all my other film is flat, right? So I'm, I'm legitimately contemplating just going all out to RPX 400 because it's cheaper. I really love the tones and it's it doesn't curl. Well, that's a good reason. That's a good reason to switch. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, all I can say is 
I dry mine. I hang mine to dry, and I I use PhotoFlow and distilled water, and hang it to dry, yeah. and it dries, and I cut it, and it's got a little bit of a curl to it, but it, but but I mean I'm I'm but see then again I'm digitizing with my my negatives in negative proper negative enlarger carriers, uh-huh. so f- I don't ever have flatness problems. The only thing that's annoying is when you get to that like the edge of a, you know, it just stands to reason the. F- Four good shots that I like on any roll of film <laughs> are always on the edge of whatever strip of negatives I've cut. So uh-huh. if I've cut a strip of six negatives, the two good shots are the first one and the sixth one on that strip. Right. Um, so you put it in a carrier and, you know, it always that that cut edge wants to like just miss the edge of the carrier so you get a teeny tiny bit of curl but in larger negative carriers hold film very flat i mean they're meant to Mm -hmm. so it's it's not really a problem so i don't know i mean i don't really have the problem because i i guess the way i the the method i use for digitizing you know what i mean so i don't really think about the curl that much um i'm legitimately considering getting a uh something like a pacific image xa because jason lane mentioned that he has the same issue. So he uses that uh, for 35 mil and then a flatbed for a medium format or a pack on. Yeah. A pack on. I could see. Oof. Yeah. I don't know the Pacific image stuff. I, I don't know. <laughs> I never heard of it before. <laughs> you, Jason, you Lane might mentioned. seriously Perry at that point, you might as well just get a copy stand and use your Fuji for digitizing mm. because it's going to be so much better. Yeah, that's that's what people are telling me. Well, we'll save that for when Hamish comes on because okay, I've never yeah. tried digitizing with a digital camera in any serious uh, to any serious degree. So yeah, yeah, so that's just worth worth just men- mentioning there. But uh, the often uh, trailered episode with uh, Hamish coming on to talk about his completed Pixelator. Uh, hopefully, yeah. that's not going to be too far away now. Uh, it's been yeah, making right, good progress, right. but there's still been a few little. Uh, problems and uh speed bumps along the road so uh but he's he's feeling a bit more upbeat about it it's going to be we, we could be weeks away from that 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 episode now looking forward to that wow mm-hmm. cool sweet yeah so anyway i i don't really have a curl problem i have my triax curls but not problematically for me is all i can say and you also posted some pictures with your uh ft2 yeah uh, i did yes which I, I also shot about. that same day, <laughs> that brief window of sunlight last Monday. So on some of the earlier shots you posted with that camera, uh-huh. on the on the right-hand side of the frame, there's a something that looks like a weird kind of flare that almost looks like eyelashes. Oh, yeah. What um, is that? Yeah. So that's uh, shots that I took where the lens is swinging directly into the sun. So what you're seeing is the sun flaring directly into the lens. Oh, that flare looks really it, it it looks so much like eyelashes to me. Yeah. No, it does. It does. Yeah. I think it has to do with the because the lens is moving. Mm. Um I think that's oh, that why it sense. has yeah, why it has that look. But yeah, it has a very particular look to it. And actually it's funny the last roll that I shot when I um these last couple rolls uh I was just so happy that there was sun that I was like shooting into the sun a lot with the, with the uh, FT two. And you know, some of the shots look, re- I mean, it like just kills the entire exposure <laughs> because it, there's, you know, that there's no, you would think because the lens is recessed that it would have a lot of flare resistance, but it really doesn't. Uh, 
So it, it, a lot of the shots, it just flattens out the whole shot because you've got this veiling flare, uh, in the whole exposure really, or most of it. So, um, yeah, that, that camera is definitely, it's really, really tricky shooting into the sun with that camera, but I do, I like it at times. I like it on some of the street shots, um, where it's really bright and you get that, uh, that eyelash flare thing going on like in one part of the frame kind of looks kind of like it Mm -hmm. yeah i've got a i have a it's funny i have a vertical shot where i held the camera you know vertically and did a shot straight into the sun and it does not have that flare at all it's really really strange (laughs) so it's like it only you know i don't know why but it it seems like it only does it going horizontally so something, I don't know, something that, that I need to experiment with more to wrap my head around. I, and I do recall that when you got this camera, uh, I think I gave you a bit of stick for, well, well, I, I think I pointed out that it would be difficult for you to figure out how to display these properly. And you're like, I don't care about that. I don't need to display them. But it seems like this issue is a legitimate one that's popped up, no? Oh, it is, yeah. No, it is. I mean, I just I, what I figured was uh, the way I usually put stuff on Instagram and Facebook is I'll, I'll do it as a square so that it doesn't crop, which works fine with 35 millimeter, you know, four by three ish aspect ratio, but it's very strange on a, what is it? 4.5 to one <laughs> aspect mm-hmm. ratio. Uh, so, but no, what I, what I found is that uh, at least loading them up on Facebook, if I just crop them tight to the actual image area, it actually puts a nice, preview up if i do three images at a time it does a relatively um decent uh you know it's still it crops off a lot on the right and left but it 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 looks okay so that does seem to be working for um at least loading them on facebook viewability viewability wise right yeah yeah so that's i think that i guess that's the trick is i'll just when i share them they will be in th- threes on Facebook so that they kind of crop somewhat pleasingly. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. So are we off to the email now, gentlemen? Okay. All right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Um, email to, this was actually to Simon, uh, but I think it's, it's addressed to Simon, but I think we will all be able to discuss it. So this is from a good friend of the show, Nick Lyle. And subject is baby graphmia press camera for Simon. And it says, Simon, this topic might be of interest to Classic Lenses podcast listeners. I was recently let down by my Mamiya 645 with wonky film transport while on a trip. And it pissed me off. Just, I've, I've just got to stop that there. Wonky. I always thought that was like a very British term. Does, it, does that translate out all around the world? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's wonky is a common okay. US, good. US term. Good to know. I, what I was noticing in that first sentence was not wonky, but he said while instead of whilst. 
Yes. I would have. Yeah. Right. I, whilst would have been so much better in this particular context, but that's okay. I, I, I totally agree, and and actually, it's a little bit of a disappointment that Nick hasn't used that because he is he is a true <laughs> he's a true rena- Renaissance man and very 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 ed- educated and erudite yes. and, and so on. So, um, oh, oh, that's a shame. But anyway, please continue. Okay. Uh, the nice old Mamiya 645 bodies are prone to problems and breakdowns. Uh, I started thinking of solutions because I like the lenses and I like 645. With an RB67645 back on the way, it occurred to me that a baby speed graphic might be the answer. Flange focal distance is apparently short enough to set up one with an M645 bayonet mount. eBay was only showing overpriced springbacks, though, until bingo, I found a baby pacemaker speed graphic in very nice condition, going very cheap because the ground glass unit was missing. Perfect. It even comes with a lens board and it has a big hole in it. I have a ground glass. I have ground glass options already. Next week, I will be putting together my Graphmia 645 press camera. Uh, if it goes together without needing to take the bellows and standard off, I can work on additional lens boards for other bent mount medium format lenses that lack shutters, like RB lenses, Pentax, etc., uh, and simply mark various flange focal points on the track. Plus, the bellows will work well with the fantastic 80mm f4 M645 macro lens. Uh, Though it is tempting to remove the bed and bellows, put on a solid front on the box, make a dedicated lightweight lightweight graph Mia. Extension tubes, cheap adapters, and broken cameras provide sources for the the camera side bayonets. if you still have your baby speed graphic, you might consider making it into a universal medium format press camera. I've been using fast lenses on my little Sentry graphic, and it is dead easy to focus with a Hoodman loop on the ground glass. No need for a dark cloth. Plus, using these modern lenses allows ready scale focusing with quick changes. Next week, uh, I should be hooking this Franken camera up to the lightning rod in my lab, <laughs> says Nick Lyle. Yeah, uh, that's that, that's that's interesting because I, I mean, I've, as, as Nick has said, there I've I've got the same um, baby speed graphic, and I've looked at it a couple of times, thinking I could adapt lenses to this because famously I bought this lens, this camera, thinking that it was a full size five by four speed graphic because the picture looked right, and rushed into it and bought it, um, yeah. and now I've got this camera that's not what I thought it was, but it looks nice and it's fully functional. And a couple of times I've been thinking about, yeah, this, this would work really well with uh, medium format um, projection lenses. And, yeah. um, and now that I've, I'm becoming borderline competent with the 3d printer, um, making um, uh, lens boards for, for uh, certainly projection lenses would not be difficult because it's the same principle I used to, to make it for my, um, Aero Ektar. Um, so, so yeah, this is, it's, it's starting to actually, uh, have a place in my thoughts and the, you know, some of the things I could actually do with this. I mean, I've, I've seen some great lenses, uh, great shots taken with that, that, that format here, the on, with medium format, uh, with, with these, yeah. these, these fast lenses and, um, and it would not be difficult for me to do. And frankly, it'll be quite fun. 
to do it as well. So uh, I haven't really thought that much about using bayoneted lenses, uh, which would be a little bit tricky. But the other side of it is I might be able to use that uh, Mamiya 50mm press lens. And now that I do actually have a um, access to a, a mount, uh, thanks to Ethan Moses and his Branco pan, where, which uses that lens, um, it probably wouldn't be that difficult to find a way of attaching that uh, to the camera as well although it might be a little bit tricky um, but where there's a will where there's a, there's a way so uh, so yeah so I'm, I might well do that yeah and that's uh, a cool actually idea. just just another thing that we as, as many listeners will remember Nick being on the show but uh, we've not mentioned that Nick is one of the three hosts of the homemade camera podcast along with Graham yeah. Young and, uh, and Ethan Moses so um, what he's talking about go going through here is very very much uh, um, the kind of stuff that they talk about on that show all the time so if you're ever yeah. interested yeah. in uh, modifying not just the lenses to cameras but modifying the cameras full stop or just using film lenses with other film cameras um, that uh, were never designed to work to each other. It's a great show to listen to there, which you can pick up a lot of great tips. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And this is an interesting one. It's a cool concept. It is. Yep. Okay. Um, next up, uh, just a, we had just a quick note from, I'm just going to mention it. It's a, just a link. Uh, but we'll, I can put the link in the show notes from Paul Friday, who says, more angle dangle. And he says, thanks for reading and responding to my email. Um, and as no good turn ever goes unpunished, here is the follow-up explanation where he goes into even more detail on that thing we discussed that he sent us. Angle of view. Angle of view, yeah. So uh, we'll include the link in the show notes from Paul Friday where he – Further explains in in I'm sure voluminous detail how simple the concept is. Well, this so is everyone can wrap their head around it. Yeah, well, I've I've gone on to the link and it's uh, and there's a very handy table on there uh, and it's got oh good yeah yeah it just it just you know you can talk about it for hours but just read the table it just makes a lot more sense and just and the the point being is that uh, if people used. Uh, if manufacturers used angle of view instead of just specifying the the focal length of a lens then that's it's like a catch-all and it doesn't really matter what the actual um it the the, the focal length of the lens becomes less important than the actual uh field of view and uh, just as yeah. for instance it, this this chart uh gives you degrees to start off with and uh, let's go right to the top so 104 degrees uh, on four thirds, I assume micro four thirds as well. It's that will be a seven millimeter lens on APS-C. It's a nine millimeter on the thirty-five mil. It's fourteen on six four five. It's twenty-two, and it's also the same on six by six. And then on six by seven, it's uh, twenty-seven millimeters. So uh, yeah, so if you if you can get angle of view in your head and just think that way, then it sort of makes sense. But the world doesn't work that way. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the funny thing about this from the perspective of manufacturers changing their labeling is the reality is the vast majority of people only own one camera right and so on <laughs> one format so they really wouldn't care and the focal length would be fine for them without any kind of you know crop factor the, the, this entire discussion is taking place from the perspective of crazy camera nerds like us who actually have to worry right. about like 
you know, equivalent field of view between a lens on 35 mil versus six by seven. Yeah. Yeah. Which is perfectly normal as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I, I, I understand your point. Yeah. 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 It's a little bit like he's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's sort of like, um, I, I feel like it's, it's like switching to the metric system or it would be like switching to, well, I guess the Imperial units. If you're used to the metric system, <laughs> it's just looking at it in a different, in a different way. So it's a little foreign, at first, I, you know, the thought that came to mind for me though was <clears throat> a lot of it's it, what happens with different formats though, like six by six is, and there's a very good link uh, to this. I, I saw it at the shop. We had a little thing from Hasselblad, and it talks about how to think about uh, focal length for 35 millimeter in six by six format because. You know, it's a square versus a rectangle. And it depends if you're thinking of the vertical or the horizontal yeah. or, or if you diagonal. think of it as the, or the diagonal, right? Because all three of those are different. Mm-hmm. So it it's like it kind of breaks down a little bit when you start thinking about format differences also. Yes. It's not, not quite as clear cut. So and I don't know if there's any clean solution for for that. So. I, I don't think it's a problem for most people because, like, if you're a Fuji shooter, right, and everything yeah. is APS-C, then a 35 millimeter lens for you is just a 35 millimeter lens. Yeah, and then you're just gonna know what that looks like. I, 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 I don't know. I think, like, when I shoot with my Fuji and I have a 35 on there, my brain yeah. just does the conversion automatically. Yeah, but I would think for people with one camera, you know, if you're shooting micro four thirds and you have a 12 millimeter lens. You're not converting that to 35 mil equivalent, right? You're just like, okay, 12 millimeters. That's like quite wide. Yeah, well, I do. <laughs> but there you go. Right. But, but again, you know, people with multiple, with way too many cameras, yeah. this is legitimate. But I, I, I just think from the perspective of saying, oh, manufacturers would, it would make more sense for them to do this only for nerds like us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right, and even then, it right. doesn't because we're already hardwired to use thirty-five as a reference. Yeah, yeah. Well, in any case, we will include that link, and everybody can go to, go have a look. Yeah, it's a cool. Link. Yeah, it's a it's a cool link, and you can you can join the Paul Friday army of angle of view, and that's okay. <laughs> well, when it, I, I guess if it goes up to really really long lenses, you would have to then go into decimals, right? In terms decibels of like sound? No, decimals like 0.5 oh, okay. degrees. I was like, what well, is it depend on what the sound of that lens is at uh if you were shooting like a thousand millimeter lens on a yeah. Yeah. stack right. on stack teleconverters. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, moving right along. Uh we're gonna go to uh, Aaron Alfano's email uh, sent to us on Thursday, February the 6th. And his subject is early 5CM slash 50mm F2 nutcores. Uh, and he says, Simon Perry, uh, Simon Johnny Perry, good afternoon, gentlemen. I'm curious about Johnny's recent comments stating that the 50mm F2 Nikkor is the only Nikon SLR lens that he likes. I figure if a Nikon product is good enough that even Johnny likes it, it must be really good. My OG Nikon FE 
can use pre-AI lenses just fine. And since pre-AI Nikkors are usually cheap enough that I might be able to acquire one without incurring the wrath of my lovely wife, I've been researching these lenses. Um, according to this site, among the many cosmetic versions uh, of these lenses, there are two specific basic types. A 5CM F, uh, a 5CM F2 S Auto, which has a seven-element design produced from 1959 and 1953, and a 50mm F2 H Auto, six-element design introduced in 1964, which carries over into the AI version that was produced until 1979. I'm curious which version Johnny has and recommends. Cheers and keep up the great work on the podcast, Aaron Alfano. Um, I was I was referring to the fifty F two H auto, is the one I was referring to. What do uh, the letters mean in Nikon's nomenclature for their lenses? Um, I thought it meant number of elements, but that no, that's Olympus. Actually, yeah, that's Olympus. That doesn't work out right. Uh, I would have to look that one up. I can't remember, but it they do have a. Yeah, you know, there, there there is a similar one, isn't there? Like, uh, yeah, Q is four, as in quad, right? So, but then H you've got some six. like, but then you have like H C and O and P C and P. Well, P P C is easy. That's um, perspective control, right? So, like, it can't all be referring to the number of elements. No, but it might be. No, with, it doesn't. Yeah, but with the, in their in their own unique, very Nikon way. Um, I'm looking for the little chart here because I know that there is a there's a chart. Uh, it's like the Bronica lenses, the the Nikkors for Bronica are the ones that I have are all labeled. Uh, I think Nikkor P, but I'm pretty yeah. sure they don't have the same number of elements. Yeah, let's see. Everybody's just talking about AI. AI uh, so everybody's talking about the different versions. I'm looking. I'm just looking for one that explains the whole number of elements things. Well, you, oh, so, oh, wait. Just, just quickly, while you while you're looking for that, um, if you've not listened to show 51, Alfonso, then you absolutely should. Um, so that's the um, Mike Ekman and Bob Rotoloni. Uh, oh, chat yeah. all about uh, Nikon lenses, and I'm pretty sure we talked about that lens on there. I think it was a little bit of confusion on there as well, because we we thought at one point, is, are we talking about a Sonar version? I think that was where uh, that would be the um, the LTM version. Uh, yeah, because uh, no, no, but that episode you guys talked almost exclusively about the rangefinders. Mm. But here he's yeah. talking about the F so, lens. Here, yeah, here, here we, we go. I, I think we did talk I, about the F the F mount lens as well, though. So, but I think they use the same they use the same nomenclature for both because there the uh, there is also a fifty millimeter f two h in rangefinder mount. Yes, so, there is. Yeah, so they they use it. So here it is. Note with pre AI Nikon lenses often used a single abbreviation indicate the number of elements in the lens. So here we go with Nikon's own unique in-house. <laughs> Jesus, this is so Nikon. I'm, I'm, still you. I'm, predict I'm still predicting that H means six. We'll go on. Okay. <laughs> U, uni is one. B, bi is two. T, tri is three. Good. We're, we're doing pretty logical so far. Q, quadra is four. P Penta is five, H Exa is six, uh, S Septa is seven, O Octa is eight, 
N Nana is nine and D Deca is 10. Usually these letters were appended to Nikors as in Nikkor Q135-28, which would be a pre-AI 135 F2.8 lens with four elements, Q. Keep in mind, when deciphering the alphabet soup Nikon has used over the years, you're dealing with a really old lens. A single letter alongside the Nikkor is is likely referring to elements, uh, not the terms shown below. Oh, and then they're because they're talking about all the AF... The coding Gar- and focus Gar- thing. All right? the AF garbage, yeah. yeah. Wait, 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 wait. So HC, does that refer to a coding? Uh, that's my understanding, yes, is that okay. HC is referring and to the coding. But, but then, they, but then it, similar to Zeiss, at a certain point, they just dropped the coding thing right. altogether because everything was coded, so they just dropped it. It's like the there's a lot of the Zeiss... T coded lenses from the fifties that they just completely dropped the coding indicator. Right. Yeah. So, uh, God damn it, Nikon. So the, the, this has confused me for ages and I just gave up on trying to figure out Nikon stuff. Um, the dot is therefore also relevant, right? Because there is the 180 millimeter, uh, I forget what aperture it is, but it's P C, but there's a dot like a full stop. So it's P dot C. So I assume that means five element and coded because it's not a perspective control lens. It's not a shift lens. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, I mean, my, I, <laughs> I, I'm looking at my, uh, pull it off the shelf here, my, my Nikon on my, um, my rangefinder is Nikkor slash dash h dot c and it's a dot between the two not a period yes. at the bottom right a dot in the middle yeah dot in the middle yeah Indicator so that would mean coded six element coded coded yeah yeah but that right. and that's a sonar this is the sonar yeah the the f2 sonar yeah is the slr one also a sonar or is it a double gauss I, I think believe could, it's a double. Yeah. 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 It's a double. Yeah. Okay. That I think so. Cool. Yeah. Anyway, I have a link to that that we will include uh in the notes. And I just want to see if I can find this Hasselblad uh Hasselblad explains angle of view. So it's really, really interesting to think about angle of view when you start thinking about different formats um and this was i'll have to look for it it was from it was a hasselblad you know i was like on their website so it was good i'll have to see if i can find it anyway okay um was that it for you yeah yeah oh okay that was quick i guess so they they, i guess when you actually do them as they come in they don't take so long (laughs) yeah Okay. Yeah. Right. Well, let's uh, start to bring things to a bit of an end. Although I think there's a couple of things to talk about. Um, but let I know. Let's do coffee donations. And I've uh, and I've uh, where are we now? Um, yeah. So the first one. Uh, thank you, Lawrence Dunn. If I didn't thank you last week, uh, that's very good of you. And uh, Jay. Grillo, which is uh, the person that we couldn't quite work out how to say your name. I think that's Jorge or Georges, because uh, I recognize this because he goes, uh, Coffee for all, thank you for the great podcast and 
for taking time to answer my emails uh, or answer our emails. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, Nigel Cliff uh, donated to us as well. And uh, he says, did I actually hear Perry was going to buy a £50 lens, the, the, the Nick or H? Um, it'll be a Helios 44 next. So uh, Wait, what? Yeah, well, it sounds it sounds like perhaps you didn't say it. He's uh, suggesting that you were going to go out and buy that Nikkor H fifty mil lens after last week. Am, am I going to buy it? Yeah, apparently, apparently he said it or something like that. I, I don't remember saying that. <laughs> well, perhaps you should. I mean, I, I can go buy that lens. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you you said in a sort of throwaway sort of way. Yeah, okay, okay I'll get one of those. Yeah, perhaps, perhaps no, got... we were telling the other guy. We were telling Jorge to get it. Oh uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, well, right. perhaps you were giving yourself gas as you were talking about it. No. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, which uh, apparently you've recovered from. So yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, thank you, uh, James Thorpe. Um, appreciate that. And uh, finally, Christopher J. May again. Um, yeah. He's, he goes, uh, getting, closer, getting closer on catching up, up to episode 96, and listen to Perry's monologue. Um, that was amazing. Um, and it was it was um uh one request um could you could you get jim garley on the clp and or the lfpp um that would make for an amazing episode i need to find out who jim garley is so uh carry carry on gents do either of you know who jim garley is Uh, that's g a l l i just in case i'm mispronouncing that no, okay. No. Well, somebody for us to find out about. So, uh, sounds an interesting person. Um, okay, uh, let's do shout outs. Uh, so, Perry, are you going to shout outs this week? Uh, not in my neck of the woods, but I do have a shout out to our good friend Ricardo Bayon for finally outing himself uh, as the closet like a man that he is. Because, well, uh, as we know, he he is a closet like a man. No, a couple months ago, he was messaging me because he was like, "Perry, I want to get an M two forty, and I was like, "What? You give me <laughs> you give me crap for this <laughs> yeah. all the time." Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, he was. I think he was choosing between that or an M four, and I was like, we had a long discussion about it, and he ended up going out and grabbing an M two forty with ridiculous lenses. Uh, a 35 1.2 Nocton, a 50 1.5 Nocton, yeah. and a 35 F2 Sumicron, which was broken. And then I told him to return it. He was going to send it to Yoshin Yi. I was like, what the hell? Uh, so, Ricardo Bayon, Mr. Best Vintage Lens, no Leicas, no expensive lenses, is uh, yeah. <laughs> out there snapping away in California. He's in California, right? Well, he was in, I think it was in Florida when, when we last spoke to him, but he gets about a bit, doesn't he? Yeah. So, there we go. Yeah. Okay, well, um, I'll just do a, a quick couple of shout-outs, which is uh, a meaty one in there. Um, and actually, there's two in there, actually, think about it. Uh, first one, I just want to give a shout-out to Fraser Yule, um, who was on the um, photo walk yesterday, at, not yesterday, on the, on Sunday, and he he was going to send something in the post, but I said, oh, I'm sure we'll we'll catch up. And uh, we finally caught up. And uh, he sent, uh, he, well, handed to me his, I, mean, 
I mean, people call these things zines. Um, so it's a it's a collection of photographs put in a almost like a self-published thing. But things like zines are generally these in the back in the old days. There were there was stuff done on photocopiers and very very cheap. Um, and that is not what I'm looking at at the moment. I've got a no. a photo book. <laughs> <laughs> it it really cracks me up that people call this stuff zines. It just it, if you if you did not assemble it yourself, I'm sorry, it's not a zine. It is a it is a self-published book, which I know that's more to say folks, but it's not a zine. It's just not. <laughs> so, yeah, it looks really professionally done. It looks yeah, really good. That's that's a self-published book. That's it's not a zine. Anyway, people are going to call them zines anyway, but I'm just That term just, is completely alien to me, by the way. It's compl- apart from yeah, it. I, it just no, it, apart from the fact that Sunny Sixteen talk about it all the time, I, I'm like, what the hell is a zine? Is it just a magazine that's not a series, and there's only one of them? So you're taking out the maga? Oh, is taking out the maga is a good idea. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, geez, that just that. What a great concept for a. A zine, the magazine, and it would just be all Trump tards. <laughs> that would be amazing. I would, I'm going to go to the next time there's like a Trump thing in Chicago. I'm going to go to it, and I'm going to take a bunch of pictures, and I'm going to make a zine called The Magazine. Yes. <laughs> with, a, with a Nikkor dot in the middle. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, anyway. Well, well this, this, this. Um, I mean, to be to be fair, it doesn't say, it doesn't have the word zine on it. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure if uh, Fraser's actually called it a zine as such, but it's certainly a photo book, and it's beautifully put together, and it's got some great photos in it. And um, so, thank you very much for for sharing this with me because it's uh, it's good. And if you want to see um, the photos, uh, not necessarily this particular book, but pretty much his photography goes out in various places, especially on Instagram. And you can just follow him on if you look him up as Fraser Yule, uh, and that is uh, Fraser as in F R A S E R, then underscore, and then Yule, which is Y U L E. Um, do so, do check his uh, stuff out on Instagram because he's a, he's a damn good photographer. Um, there's a lot of stuff on, on Bronicas um, as well as his uh, F3. So, um, yeah, cracking, cracking uh, photo book there. And <clears throat> Only uh, this morning, um, something else turned up, um, which is undoubtedly a photo book, um, because apparently um, it appears to be the father of all photo books, or at least all um, travel books uh, for, for, uh, for photography. And it's by a chap called, I'm going to butcher this, um, Kurt Heilschler. Um, and it's a book which I'm going to translate because I can't even say it in German. Um, and it is a German book and it's a German language book. You can get English versions, but this is a, a German uh, version um, that was published in 1943. And it was first published in 22, 1922. So, mm. um, and this is uh, called The Unknown Spain uh, in English. And, uh, and it's just got some amazing photographs in it. Um, I've only skimmed through it, but so it only turned up an hour or so before uh, recording today's show. Um, but it's it's just fascinating to to go back and actually look at the photographs that were taken from the the nineteen tens onwards, um, yeah. many of which on large format, um, and and just seeing uh, 
than whatever whatever would have been the case back in the 1910s of non-tourist photos um that's that's what this 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 was so it was uh seemed to be documenting what was going on in, in the villages around in in, in spain and uh, and the towns and there's there's all sorts of things there with you know with the um i mean i don't know if people were dressing up for some of these things but there was some you know very classical uh, uh, Spanish-looking people on there, um, and then people just in in their ordinary lives uh, going about what they would do on a day-to-day -day basis. So it's it's a it's a mix between shots that, frankly, you would go out and take exactly the same shot today. Uh, they just they just the the composition of them is 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 modern, if you like. But and I think that we've talked about this before. I think composition in, in photography it's it's a classical thing and just some things work and it doesn't matter if they were taken 100 years ago it was just the right shot to take in that position uh, if you're just doing you know conventional landscape photography um so there's the lots of those and you could go to that those same places and take a a, a very similar shot today but then there was just so many shots where it's just a, a life that's just gone and uh it's just fascinating to look for that so uh and that was i don't know if i've actually mentioned who sent that to me well that was chris holland uh, that uh, sent that through to me and uh, Chris you might, well some people might actually remember uh, that name because uh, Chris is uh, famous stroke infamous uh, because he introduced the the concept of wet on wet bokeh uh, <laughs> to, to this podcast um, much to the consternation of many people Johnny included um, and uh, he championed the um, the the wonderful uh, Raynox 135mm f2.8 wet on wet bokeh lens um, it doesn't actually say that on the lens but that's what it is because it's very special and uh, that is the lens that we're giving away if somebody is brave enough to get some Je Jepson's Malort and film themselves uh, drinking it and making reference to our podcast and putting it up onto YouTube um, so if you do it or even if you just send it into us and we'll put it onto our YouTube channel then if you do that, you've got a chance of an extremely good chance, because nobody's done it, um, <laughs> um, of, of winning this lens. And uh, and it does need to be a competition. So it is a case of I, you know, two people have got to take this challenge up to have a chance of it. So uh, there could be double. There's going to be double disappointment and uh, and lens compensation to one person and double disappointment to somebody else uh, who's going to be taking part in this challenge. But uh, so so yeah, film yourself uh, having. Uh, uh, knocking back some Jepsons Malort, and you will have that chance of uh, of winning uh, a really special uh, lens uh, sent through by, uh, well, recommended to us by Chris Holland. And uh, thank you very much, Chris, for for sending this through to me. It's um, you know, it's a it's a pretty heavy, hefty book as well, um, hardback, and it's like I say, it's absolutely fascinating. Wait, wait, Simon. Um, during all of that, you just said something so 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 interesting to me. Uh, and I just want to kind of make a audio note that like we could do an entire episode on this. So you talked about the idea that some compositions are timeless, uh, especially with landscapes and things like that. Right. And the idea that kind of compositional techniques are, are universal. And I'm just thinking that I'm just thinking about that as a concept and how, uh, you know, aesthetics and compositions um, and just image making evolves in the way that whether or not it evolves in the way that other things do. So, for example, you know, the the old style daguerreotype portraits, right? Like you wouldn't shoot those anymore 
partly because of the gear, but also partly because of the aesthetic of people just, you know, sitting there with no expression on their face. Um, at the same time, some compositions and compositional techniques and, uh, you know, effects are timeless. Some are culturally varied. Um, and, and I think the same thing applies to maybe things like recipes, right? Because, like, they evolve. If you were, if you gave me, you know, jello with ham in it today, like people used to eat in America in, like, I don't know, the 50s or 60s or 70s or something, uh, that would seem insane when it was... Hey, totally- I had that last week. sorry but yeah that 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 just so it's such an interesting uh topic to me and i just want to kind of highlight that as something i want to talk about in the future yeah well i've now realized it was something that we haven't talked about on the show but it's 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 definitely something that at least one or two times we've talked about that on the large format photography podcast um, probably be- simply because you know, there, there, there are times where we'll talk about some of the old techniques on there, uh, like wet plate collodion and, and, and so on. So uh, I can't remember which episode we, we majored on that one, but we've definitely uh, covered those things. It is, it is an interesting topic. So, uh, yeah, I'd be more than happy to, to come back to that one. It's like the thing. It's like the topic that makes me nerd out more than lenses um, because, you know, we don't discuss it. But the amount of time I spend thinking about things like, for example, the use of color in compositions and how that has like totally different uh, connotations depending on your cultural context and also your time context, but also the evolution of different styles of photography and styles of, you know, applying classical compositional and lighting techniques. Anyway, all that kind of stuff, all that kind of crap, right? That we should talk about that at some point because it's super cool. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's a good one, and uh, so. I think so. They're, they're my main shout outs, uh, and then the the other one is uh, every week. Uh, you know, we have a darkroom club in Stoke on Trent um, that meets on a Tuesday night. So if you fancy coming along to that, just just drop me a line, and uh, I can give you some more details and directions and and, th- and things like that. Um, so, Johnny, have did I, have you done any shout outs? I've already done. I can't remember where we're up to now. <laughs> I was I was just making trying to make my list of shout outs actually while whilst that whole conversation was happening. Uh because I I saw a lot of people this week. And I, I was I was also just for the record, let it be noted that there is weak sunlight right now in Chicago. I think almost enough that it will cast shadows. Wow. Which means I will probably be running my ass out of here to take some pictures in a minute. Um, uh, but yeah, shout outs. Uh, so this week I, I saw a whole bunch of people this week. I saw, uh, Beth and Jared Trumper this week. Um, they were downtown and actually, so the last time I saw any sun was when they came into central camera because they always bring the sun with them. I kid you not. Whenever they're downtown in Chicago, it is sunny. So they brought the sun with them yet again. Uh, and that was the last time I saw the sun other than this moment right now. So shout out to them. Uh, I saw Jeremy Zorns and Kari who were downtown also on Saturday and they were headed over to the art Institute, um, to spend the day over there. Uh, saw Eric, uh, Riss on Saturday. Uh, I saw Robbie J this week. Saw Bob matter this week. I saw WD Floyd this week on Saturday. So I saw all these people, um, uh, in central camera this week. And let's not forget, let's not forget. I, f- I forgot these guys in my last round of shout outs. Um, let's not forget the guys from fuck yo swag. 
Let's not forget Fuck Yo Swag. So go on over to Fuck Yo Swag and uh, you you can you can see the goings on over there. They are music producers, entrepreneurs, uh, all around awesome uh, medical marijuana distributors without the medical part or the official distribution part, if you get my meaning. Um, so yeah, check that out. Uh, shout out to those guys. They're excellent. Um, and I think that's all the, I think that's all my shout outs. That's, that's probably just as well. <laughs> um, yeah, probably. And, I, and I've got another quick shout out actually, and you just mentioned him, I think. Um, and that's, uh, to Bob Matter. Um, because, um, we're going to be on, on the, the podcast I do, which is the large format photography podcast, which I've just been talking about a little bit. Uh, we're going to be having a chap called Travis, Travis Limville is going to be, uh, coming on there. And that was somebody that, oh. uh, Bob Matte uh, introduced, uh, me to. Um, so he's going to be, we've interviewing him on Thursday. So that should go out on, on Friday, but, uh, the, the reason why he, that came up into my head there is because uh, he, I think he's, he's he's doing tin types and things like that. So uh, the old mm. the old fashioned uh, type of photography, and he's doing you know with 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 portraiture and so on. So he's he's doing the you know that old photography in the twenty first century, and um, so that that'll be quite interesting. Just talking to about those those what's different about what he does, um, knowing what he knows about. You know, after 100 years or 120 or 130 years of photography that's going in between, but using the same process to get effectively the same type of shot. So um, how how is how are things varied now with the modern outlook using such old techniques? So yeah. that should be a, cool. a good one to listen to for Perry there, maybe. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. um, Very good. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Perry, uh, outside of this podcast, how can people follow you? You can find me on Instagram or Flickr at Perry G or go to my never updated website, PerryG.com. Okay. And uh, Johnny, how can people not follow you on Instagram? Um, they can look for sissy photography on Instagram and I'll ignore them. Um, <laughs> or you can, or you can come into central camera and I will not ignore you if you, if you do that. So you can come into central camera company and I will see you there. You could, you could, I suppose you could get your phone out and actually show people your pictures on Instagram at the same time then, can't you? I could. I've done that, actually. I have done that. <laughs> That's like full curation. That's a real good service. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, indeed. I'm just sorry. I'm just looking at to see how, how much longer the sun's going to be out for. Because it is full-on sun right now in Chicago. And the Stoke-on-Trent Minutecast says you're going to have rain starting in 17 minutes. Yeah. Simon. Yeah, I can so, believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Off the snow's gone now as well. It's just wet and slushy out there now. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. No no photo ops for me on this one, unfortunately. Um, okay. So, where. Okay. Oh, hold, yeah. hold, hold on. Hold yes. on. I just have to. Is this, this looks legit. Stoke on Trent. I'm just looking at the weather. I'm looking at the, like, at the top band in the website here. It has a. It has, you know, announcements and warnings and such. And I'm just, 
you have a yellow warning for snow in effect in Stoke on Trent. Now, a yellow warning for snow means something mm. really different in Chicago. I yeah. just wanted. No, it means a similar kind of stuff over here. We, 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 we do tend to snigger at yellow, wall, yellow snow warnings. We, okay, we all right. I just, I just wanted to clear that up. That it's not just me laughing at this. Not, not at all. Never, okay. never, never eat yellow snow. That's, Very uh, good. That, I think that's actually the warning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 It goes out every time the snow because people just don't really understand. So right. uh, that could be yeah. it. So if you want to also on Instagram while you're there, you can go to Best Vintage Lens, um, our our Instagram buddies, and you can go there and maybe drop maybe drop a little PM to Ricardo and ask him about his new Leica <laughs> while you're there. <laughs> And of course, read the uh, the show notes for the the latest episode, which is better than the podcast show note summary. Uh, so be sure to do that. And then also, please send us an email, which we will read. You can do that at uh, Classic Lenses Podcast at gmail dot com. And of course, visit the Classic Lenses Podcast website at classiclensespodcast.com. dot com. And there's another thing that our listeners need to do if they don't don't do do don't do so already. Um, yes. And it's a case of you know if you're already listening, you already know that you're listening to the second best uh, podcast on on the on film photography. Even though we're not a film photography podcast, um, but we still got came second. And uh, but the the podcast that came first, uh, the negative positives podcast um, that comes out of uh, uh, beautiful Louisville. Uh, Kentucky every every week and other places too um, are about to hit their three hundredth show. Um, that, by the way, that doesn't. If you're not familiar, um, that doesn't mean that they've been going for a long time. They just do lots of shows. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's be clear about that. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's 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 an achievement nonetheless because that's three hundred. Actually, it's more than three hundred shows um, because they did. A whole range of shows um, running up to their 200th show. I think it was a 200, because it all all starts to blur into into one uh, where they had, I think, a 299.1 and and A and B and 299.C and all this kind of stuff. So uh, even more than 300 shows they've done. So just want to uh, say you know, congratulations to um, to, to Mike uh, Roxana, their, uh, their, their, their new host that joined them this year, and Andre uh, Dominguez. Um, so uh, well done to you guys. Yeah, bloody show-offs. <laughs> congratulations, guys. Yeah, I was going to say you've, yeah. you've 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 earned it, but they aren't actually getting the prize or anything for it. They had that one, they had one like a couple of weeks ago, didn't they? So, um, yeah. so yeah, but well done all the same. It's 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 a heck of an achievement to knock out that many shows. Certainly is. Yeah. Okay, and anything else before I say goodbye? Um, I guess not. So uh, I can be found on Twitter as Simon Four. I'm also on Instagram as Simon Forster Photographic. You can find us all in the Facebook group uh, that's dedicated to this podcast, which is the Classic Lenses Podcast Facebook group. And we also hang out a bit in Photography Classic Lenses, because that's where we came from. Um, But we have, if you want to interact with us more directly, then the Classic Lenses Podcast Facebook group is the best place to do things. So uh, um, that's it. Just want to thank Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com for our music, which is called Octo Blues. And I hope you've enjoyed this week's show. And if you can, be like Carl. <laughs>